You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to find ourselves this morning in the study of God's Word. There's a phrase that I came into contact with several years ago, and uh, oh, it's been a long time now, and you've probably heard it, but um, it's a both-and statement. Something can be one thing and another at the same time. It's both and. And I've talked frequently, you've probably heard me if you tracked along with us at all, I've talked frequently about how as we read scripture and start to understand what life looks like following Jesus, the way of Jesus, that there is required of the follower of Jesus a lot of balance, a need for balance in life in many different areas of teaching. And, and it, this is one of those things I was listening this week to a bunch of different um, debates and conversations as I was studying some things in scripture where even within the church there were some debates on what a certain scripture meant or or how it was to be understood by the church. And you would have things that where a certain group of Christians would say, no, we believe it means this. And another group of Christians would say, no, we believe this. And whether it be the mode of salvation or whether it be the creation of the cosmos and, and, and earth and how all of that stuff began, within Christianity, within the church, there are often discussions and debates on those things. And oftentimes what I've found is that as we're considering these things that might be um, perhaps even polar opposites of each other in terms of explanation, oftentimes what we find is that they are both and. There are a lot of both and statements where you have to take certain things and balance them out because God being who he is far more expansive than our thoughts can comprehend at times, God says things that are challenging. We go, well, it seems like it's this one thing, but then somewhere else in scripture, God will say something else and it's this other thing, but we have to realize how those things work together. And so oftentimes we encounter things like that. And I think today we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, a statement that Paul's going to make that perhaps seems like he's contradicting himself a little bit. And to give you a little bit of background, as we've studied in chapter 3 pretty extensively, Paul has said that you in the church shouldn't be making a big deal about individual people. Who is Paul? What is Paul? What is Apollos, right? He's saying that, man, you guys shouldn't have these divisions in the church, these schisms, as I've said many times now, these schisms that divide the church to say, no, we listen to Apollos because he's way more eloquent than Paul. Or no, we listen to Paul because he says really deep theological things that are that are hard to understand. And so we dig that, right? Or we follow Peter because Peter just seems like the everyman. And it seems like Jesus really gave him some authority over the church before he ascended to heaven. And so there were these factions being created. And Paul says, listen, we are all just servants of the Lord who God has entrusted to us a certain number of people to just watch over and lead. And so he's he's really sort of rebuking the Corinthian church for these divisions. And, and so that's the first thing we've seen Paul say and, and sort of teach in terms of the unity of the church is don't make a big deal about individual people. But it's sort of funny because here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 specifically, Paul says something. Let's read it. He says uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16, he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Paul says, I urge you as the church body 
to be imitators of me specifically. And this is not a, a rare saying of Paul. In fact, here we have it. There, there are multiple places in the scripture. Let me give you just a brief survey of some of Paul's writings in the New Testament where he says this or something very similar to this. So here we have 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, where he says, Therefore, I tell you, be imitators of me. But then he also says it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now that's important to latch on to how he defines what being an imitator of himself means. It's, it's to be an imitator of him as he follows Christ. And then we move on throughout the New Testament in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says this, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Saying, hey, you guys should all be imitating me, right? And keep your eyes on and follow after those that I have taught and who have copied my way of following after Christ and keep your eyes on them and use them as an example. And then he says it again in Philippians chapter four, verse nine, very specifically, he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He's very specific in terms of what imitation means. Looking at his example and saying, we're going to do the same things. He says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. Do them over and over again. And then he moves on from Philippians. And in 2 Thessalonians, he writes in chapter 3, verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that you might not be a burden to that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul's using the example of being a bivocational uh, pastor, providing for his own needs, or using the resources that were sent from another church to fund his ministry in other places, not being a burden on the people in those cities that were in poverty or churches that were impoverished. He says, I didn't want to be a burden upon you, and so I worked my tail off. You guys be imitators of me and Timothy and Silas and Titus and whoever was with Paul at that time in his ministry. Be imitators of us. Do the same thing that we're doing. And then finally, the last example I'll give out of the New Testament is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. He says this as he's writing to his young protege, Timothy, as he's encouraging him in his pastoral ministry there in Ephesus. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And then I'll add this because he tells people, uh, Timothy, this very, very important piece of information. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Man, Paul says, I've laid out an example for you. I've showed you a way of life in following after Jesus that you, as a follower of Jesus, need to imitate. You need to look at my example, the things I've taught you, the things that I've shown you by example, 
the things you've seen me do and heard me say, those are things I want you to imitate. Now, to go back to that original both and idea that I started with, it seems like Paul is saying two different things. In 1 Corinthians 3, it seems like he's saying, hey, don't make a big deal about me or any other church leader. Just, just, just understand the different giftings and ministries that are taking place are ordained by God. He's behind it all. He's the one who brings the increase, Paul would say. And yet at the same time, when, when Paul is saying, hey, don't make a big deal about me, it also seems like he's kind of saying, make a big deal about me. Because he's saying over and over to these churches, imitate me. Follow the way that I have followed Christ. And so which is it? Which are we supposed to do? Not make a big deal about Paul and, his, and what he has done in the ministry, but understand that God is behind it all? Or do we follow Paul and his example and what he has done? And that's where we come to one of those statements where it's a both and. It's not either or. It's both and. We're supposed to follow Paul's example. We're supposed to look at him and go, oh, I see the way that he's pursuing Jesus. I see the way that he is living out his faith, we might call it. And that's something for me to aspire to, to follow his example and copy him, but also just go, yeah, but the Lord's behind that. I don't need to give, uh, I don't need to prop Paul up as this sort of pseudo-idol of any kind. He's just a man but he's faithfully pursuing the Lord. And so I'm going to follow after him in that way. How else was this spiritually immature church supposed to grow? They're supposed to grow by looking to someone who was more mature, someone who had confirmed their calling in the Lord and were giving evidence and confirmation, confirmation of their calling and their mission of G, the mission of Jesus in their life, someone who was more learned, more experienced in the faith. They're to look to those things. You know the saying, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. You know, the Bible says to give honor where honor is due. And in regard to walking with Jesus, learning how to be a faithful disciple of Jesus, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Worship, where we give honor and praise to God, where, we're, where we praise Jesus for his work and his teaching and his presence in our life. Man, the best way that we could worship him, flatter him, make the most of him, glorify him, is to imitate him. You know, that's what the disciples did when they discovered this Jesus and, and the teaching that he had calling for the kingdom, saying that it's now the time is prepared. It's now that the kingdom of God is going to exist. And they found their rabbi and said, this is the guy that we're going to attach ourselves to. Paul is saying the same thing. Be an imitator of me. You've heard me speak the truth to you. You've, sh you've seen me follow after what Jesus has instructed me to do in the apostleship that he has called me to. Now imitate that. Follow after me in those things. Imitation's a funny thing, man. 
my little nephew, uh, two-year-old nephew, my brother-in-law and sister just moved to a new place uh, in, in Washington, a new job, and they're doing great, expecting their second baby. We're so excited for them. But my little two-year-old nephew, my mom just came back from visiting them and was sharing some stories, and oh, a cute little guy. In the morning, he wakes up, and he wants to pull out his whole box of trucks, and he takes all of his trucks out of his box, and he places them everywhere, and then he goes back to the truck, and he sort of looks over the edge, and he goes, now, let me see. And he makes this comment that you go, no two-year-old knows how to say that. What he's done is he's copying, imitating my sister or my brother-in-law or someone who he's been around who's said that same phrase, stood and perhaps looked at the kitchen and said, now, let me see. What should we do to get ready for dinner? He looks at his toy box and goes, now, let me see. It's imitation. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. You and I as followers of Jesus, yeah, we're supposed to imitate Jesus. And we're supposed to look at his example and follow after him. But what Jesus has called us to do and called men and women throughout the history of the church to do is to be an example for each other as well. For those that have walked with the Lord and grown in faith and been through the trials of life and experienced the things that Jesus even prophetically said, you're going to go through hard things. But stay faithful, stay close to me as we find those people in our life who have done that. My goodness, how wise for us to be imitators of those who are imitating Jesus. Now, very specifically, Paul was being an imitator of Christ, like it says in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, imitate me as I'm imitating Jesus Christ. And here's how Paul was imitating Christ and those other church leaders in the early ages of the church here. We'll use Apollos and Cephas, Peter, as examples as well, because Paul refers to them. They were choosing to live and follow Jesus' example in two very specific ways, and we see it here back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So we started in verse 16, where Paul says, you therefore should imitate me, imitate my way of life, my conduct. But he starts chapter 4 out explaining the things that he's doing in following after Christ. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll look at verse 1. Paul says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Paul says there are two things that he himself and the other church leaders at that early stage of the Christian church were doing that the church then and we as we read and us as we read this letter should be imitators of as well. And the first is this, by being a servant of Christ. That's one of the first things that, that Paul states here in, in offering this correction to the church, saying you've been acting this way, you need to be acting this way. It's to be a servant of Christ. Now, there's two words in the New Testament that are primarily used for the word servant that we know. The first is doulos, and it's bond slave, or bond servant in a, in a more sanitized fashion. But the really idea, the idea really is bond slave, one who has been purchased and who is under authority. You and I, if we've believed upon Jesus Christ for salvation, if we've confessed our sins and believed upon Jesus, we are now bond slaves of Christ. He has purchased our lives by the shedding of his blood. He has paid the price for our sins to not only redeem us to God, but to take ownership of our lives. And so what that means is as bond slaves of Jesus, what he says, we do. That's it. 
That's how that relationship works. Now, the word that gets used here that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 4 is hyperitos, not doulos, but hyperitos. And hyperitos is the type of servant that is an under rower. That's the kind of servant that Paul's talking about. That he and Apollos and Peter and all the other church leaders at that time, they were just under rowers. Imagine, if you will, one of those old movies where they had a ship on the ocean and then down below they had all those super long paddles and rows of guys sitting on either side of the boat underneath the deck. And there'd be a guy standing at the front yelling, pull or row, and they would have to pull back and row. That's the idea of a hyperitas servant that Paul's using here. Someone who's an under rower. There's someone else who's the captain. They're directing the ship. They're telling us where to go. That's Jesus. And the rest of us are just servants. We're just pulling. We're just madly working. And and it might, might feel like menial labor. It might be this task that's just work. But we're called to do it because that's what Jesus has called us to do. And we do it faithfully. We do it under this compulsion of this is how we're supposed to be doing this work. Right? So Paul says the first thing that we should be imitating in terms of his life and the other leaders of the church is that we're just servants of Jesus. Even if the thing that we're doing seems like a menial task, something that is just hard work, we should be doing that. That's how we're supposed to be serving Jesus. The second thing that he says we should be imitating him and the other church leaders in is this, to be stewards of the mysteries of God. And a steward is someone who is a manager or a supervisor, if you will. Someone who takes something uh, precious, something uh, of great value, and watches over it, takes care of it as a supervisor over that thing, and manages it. Now, Paul says we're supposed to be stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, here's the beautiful thing. This is that word musterion, which means a mystery that has been revealed. The mysteries of God that are talking about, that are spoken of in the New Testament, are not some sort of mystery that we're supposed to do detective work and discover, right? It's not like, you know, a national treasure where there's these mysteries and these codes that we have to figure out in the Bible. The mystery of godliness has been revealed to us, and it's quite simply the message that Paul began his entire ministry with here in Corinth. It's Jesus and him crucified. That is the revealing of the mysteries of God. It's that salvation comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. And Paul says we are supposed to be good stewards of those precious things, those mysteries of God, that salvation comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. What does that mean to steward them and to care for them? It's that you maintain the fidelity of that message. Paul was confronted throughout his life in ministry. He was challenged time and time again. He had people who had death warrants out on his life because Paul was faithful to the truth. He maintained the fidelity of the message of the gospel no matter what. He didn't change it. And while Paul would hear criticism of his style of preaching, Paul would hear criticism of his voice in speaking, his personal visage, you know, like he was criticized for everything you can imagine. He was criticized for working and not relying on the Lord to to fulfill his financial needs, right? Being bivocational. He was also criticized for taking money from the church in terms of supporting his ministry. He received criticism and all those things. But no matter how he was criticized or attacked, Paul always had the ability to step back and ask this question. Did I give you 
the truth? Did I speak to you the truth of what Jesus entrusted to me, these mysteries of godliness, that salvation comes through Jesus and him alone? As far as what he's teaching the Corinthians, we know that he was faithful. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that truly is the question for the ages. It really is. Do we hold to the truth as we follow the way of Jesus? Are we holding fast, steadfast, the way Paul did, the way Apollos did, the way Peter did in their ministry? Are we imitating them as they imitate Christ? Are we being people that look around us and go, man, that guy, that woman, that person, they've been walking with the Lord faithfully. And I'm going to just look at the disciplines of their life and what they're doing as a servant to Christ, right? As a hyperitas, just an under rower, just a worker for Jesus. And I'm going to copy that. Man, that person who just, no matter what, is always proclaiming that salvation comes through the Lord, through Jesus alone. I'm going to be a copier of that. I'm going to imitate that in my life. I listened to a pastor friend of mine this week with a brief devotional where he was talking about how there are certain disciplines or skills that when you first try them, they're hard. They're hard. And a lot of times people, when they pick up a new hobby, you know, whether it's playing the guitar or fixing a car or learning a new skill, they kind of give up because it's just hard. Learning something new is challenging. But man, especially in our spiritual life, when we're encountering new things, I've never studied the Bible this way, verse by verse. It's hard. It takes work. You know, I've never really given over to just letting my voice go and praising the Lord. I'm, I'm nervous about how I sound. Man, there are certain disciplines in following after the Lord that are hard, but we shouldn't quit because they're intimidating or hard or, or not a part of our natural uh, persona or personality. We need to persevere and push through and follow the example of those that are imitating Jesus. We need to be challenged in those things. And that truly is the question for the ages. Do we hold to the truth of what has been entrusted to us? Do we hold to the truth that no man can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ, that it's through him and him alone that salvation occurs? Now for us as Christians who are called to that mission, man, we need to maintain that faithfulness. We need to imitate others who are imitating Christ, even if it's a hard discipline and train ourselves in those ways of righteousness. But if you're not a Christian, there's a question that you have to ask yourself as well. Do you know the truth? Have you believed in the thing that is true? Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, pardon me. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is the truth, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins. And if you believe upon him, if you confess your sins and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I have not followed after perfection. I've given in to sin and fallen short of your glory, your goodness, your perfection, your greatness, all those things. And you confess that. You confess your sin to the Lord. And then you take this thing called faith that God gives you. And you take your faith and you believe upon Jesus that he died to pay the penalty of your sin, which is death. Jesus died, but that he also defeated death by raising up from the grave. 
Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 is if you believe those things, both in your heart and confess them with your mouth. See, it's an interesting thing. You can believe in your heart all day long, but until you actually manifest that in your life, which means that you proclaim it, you state it, you say, this is real, it's out in the open. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Man, it's easy to hide and believe something in your heart, but not actually have it become real in your life. That's why the word tells us to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins and that he rose up from the grave to promise you eternal life. Now, if you're not a Christian, that is what I would beg you to do this day. I would encourage you to hear the word of God that we even read today out of the Bible. He says, anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will never be put to shame. Everything that you've ever done that is causing you pain, shame, regret in your life, when you believe upon Jesus and forgiven and are forgiven of your sins, that stuff goes away and has nothing to do with your future, has nothing to do with the plans that God has for you, which he tells us in scripture are good plans. And so I would implore you, I would beg you, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation today. Confess your sins, place, place your faith upon him and be saved. You know, this message of the, the both and statements that we oftentimes see in Scripture, they're not meant to be confusing to us. They're meant to open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to the reality of how big God is and how beyond our thoughts He operates. And so my hope is today that you would just be encouraged, encouraged to know Jesus in His death and His resurrection and that you would be saved. And that when you are saved, those of us who believed upon Jesus already, that we would be people who are looking to Jesus as our example. And in addition, be looking to others around us as examples of how we are to be servants, how, are we, are, how we are to be stewards of the good gifts that God has given us, the mysteries of godliness, which is salvation. We need to be encouraging one another. I've been encouraged this week, man. Numerous phone calls, just stories of, of even us, people who are part of the way, running into each other in, in town and just spending time talking and going, hey, we go to church together and here we are and we've been separated, but we can have fellowship and praying for one another. Man, that's what we're called to do as the body of Christ is to be connected in that way. And I really hope and pray that when whenever this uh, quarantine thing drops away and and uh, we're able to gather together again, that what we see is the people of God rejoicing in the, the opportunity we have to come together and be in unity, even how we're learning we're supposed to be as the church from Paul as he writes these things to the church at Corinth. 